Everything's going to be a good day and happy new year out there in IAQ Radio Land. Uh, wherever you're listening from, it's Indoor Air Quality Radio. It's Friday, January 8th. 2016 already a mistake in my notes this week is episode 396 right john 396 my name is radio joe hughes and here with me in the studio at the controls is our engineer john you gotta have faith and joining me from studio c in mckee's rocks is the z-man cliff zlotnick Hello, Joe. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Good day, Cliff. Okay, we're going to do part two of our What Did We Learn in 2015 series. We tried to get this done before the end of the year, but uh, there was just so much good information, we had to make it two shows. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. And thanks to our newest sponsor, Particles Plus. Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Learn more at www.particlesplus.com. Count on us. John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products services okay you can pick up the show at iaqradio.com we've got the new website up great search box easy to find and listen to the shows last but not least please visit the iaq training institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com we've got the 2016 schedule pretty much finished we're uh, at least nine-tenths of the way there. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. When a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio Trivia Question each week. Submit your answer. is very easy. You can either text it in or you can email it to me at czlotnick at cs.com. I'm sorry to report. There was no correct answer to last week's trivia question. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, January 8, 2016, has been sponsored by Triska the Restoration and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. What deceased rock and roll legend was born on today's date in 1935? Back to you, Joe. Okay, thanks, Cliff. And and again, this week, the Z-Man and I are going to finish up the show we started before the end of the year. We got through oh, about half the year last uh, before the the little summer or the uh, holiday break there, and we finished up with the Violand Executive Summit show. That was back in June of 2015, and Cliff had some great insights on that. We're going to move over to oh, we got a little music. That's right. Remember 
All right. Well, let's go back in the memory vault here. We, we had Sharon Kramer on 619, so that would be June 19th of last year. We called that show the political history of the toxic mold issue, and Sharon has joined us a few times. She's a public health advocate and a marketing uh, professional that um, actually had her own issues with uh, indoor air quality and, and water and dampness and mold. And um, since then, she's been fighting hard to try and make sure that, um, that the public is informed properly about some of the potential health effects of living in damp buildings and working in damp buildings. Cliff called his blog that week, The Disconnect Between Public Policy and Patients. Cliff, what were your thoughts? Well, I think number one, uh, I think my primary thought is, uh, you know, I think what really drew Sharon into this is that, you know, the lioness came out. You know, Sharon's daughter had some serious health issues that weren't mold related, and then they ended up being exacerbated. And, uh, you know, she's not only, you know, when a, you know, I think when a parent ends up fighting for the life of their children, they can be pretty highly motivated. Yeah, I think she certainly was. Uh, I think she's been shaking up the indoor environmental community for years. Uh, I think her primary issue is what she uh, describes as conflicts of interest and some marketing that's been utilized to deny that mold and damp buildings cause health problems for people. Yeah, and she's been really... uh Stuff on the ACOEM mold statement. That's the uh, College for Occupational and Environmental Medicine, and that that statement, I believe, was in 2004, maybe uh, maybe a little earlier. But um, it it was a statement in a you know that's a very respected group, and it was used a lot in legal cases to essentially rule out the possibility that the mycotoxins in this case um, found in water-damaged buildings could be found at a a high enough concentration to affect people's health. And and it was used to kind of rule out any kind of health, well, many different types of health effects that people claim they had when working or living in damp indoor environments. And Sharon worked hard at that for years. And finally, not too long ago, I want to say over the last year and a half, that statement was kind of sunsetted. So um, the ACOEM, the American College for Occupational Environmental Medicine, they let that sunset and no longer, um, that, that statement is no longer used on their website, as I understand it. And for people who do legal cases, they can now say, you know, ACOEM no longer publishes that statement. I don't know if they would say they no longer stand behind that statement, but that is a um, big change for people doing the type of legal work, and it's a, it was a big victory for Sharon. Uh, she spent time in prison over this. She's been sued over it, and uh, it's been a very interesting 10 years now that we've been talking with Sharon on these issues. So uh, she's a very... I'm not sure it was prison. I think it was more jail (laughs) rather than prison. I think prison's more long-term. But, yeah, she definitely was eating uh, bread and water for a couple days. Yeah, either way, it wasn't fun, huh? Um, She first started publishing on that in 2005, I believe it was. So she's had some, some great victories, but she's still feels there's a long way to go on this issue. And um, I think we'll leave it at that, Cliff. What do you think? I think so. Let's move on to episode 374. Uh, You know, we had uh, Lou Harriman, and gosh, uh, he's just so knowledgeable. You know, he wrote the book from Munters on on moisture control, and, you know, he just always has such interesting things to say. And he's just so educational and, and takes complex issues and, makes them very, very understandable. So I always appreciate the opportunities to you know, talk to him, whether it's at summer camp or, uh, you know, on our interviews. That interview was called Investigating and Avoiding Moisture-Related Problems in Buildings. Yeah, Lou has been just a, a great friend to the show, and um, he also was instrumental in developing the Moisture Control Guidance for Building Design, Construction, and Maintenance. That's the EPA document that took, 
I think it was seven or nine years to pull together, went across multiple uh, administrations, and it's a great document. We use it, I think it came out maybe in 13, uh, somewhere around there, maybe the end of 13, beginning of 14, and there were some pretty, you know, somewhat um, groundbreaking changes within there where, you know, Lou and Terry Brennan, who's also been a guest, decided, you know, or, or was able to uh, get into the document that we, we should be looking at parameters other than relative humidity. And they chose dew point and that we should design buildings based on dew point, not on relative humidity because relative humidity is relative. It's relative to the temperature and uh, dew point is not. And so it's a more steady state type of measurement that we can use to determine if the indoor environment, in this case, the, the moisture in the air in the indoor environment, is uh, appropriate for maintaining a healthy building. And I believe it's 55 degrees that uh, they're trying to keep us to design buildings for uh, 55 degree dew point and, and no higher than 55. And uh, yeah, that's what it is. Relative humidity doesn't tell you when you're in trouble and dew point does. An upper dew point limit of 55 degrees in a mechanically cooled building provides a margin for air and allowance for some moisture absorption by surfaces without leading to mold growth. And I think that's a great tip for indoor environmental professionals out there, whether you're a restorer, a consultant, that 55 degree dew point. You see buildings with a higher dew point than 55, well, you might want to consider doing some further evaluation. Cliff? Well, I think just a couple other things to add. I think one of the things that was surprising about that show is Lou mentioned his work with the U.S. Department of Defense regarding the stores of stockpiles of valuable military equipment that are all over the world. And I never would have thought that a place like uh, the Middle East, where it's very, very dry and they have desert conditions, would have big corrosion problems. But um, you know, according to Lou, one of the most corrosive environments in the world is in Kuwait. Uh, he mentioned again the seasonally occupied buildings, you know, such as schools that get moldy when they're shut down over the summer. Um, I, I, you know, that there really is no legal definition of what excessive moisture is. It's really what a pers uh, persuasive lawyer uh, is able to dream up in a, uh, you know, in a courtroom. And finally, during that show, he gave us some excellent, excellent tips for investigating moisture problems. And I would suggest that anyone involved in doing indoor environmental inspections just review those tips. Just too numerous to mention now. And you can always check out the Z-Man's blog on that show as well. Just go to the IAQ Radio website and uh, put in Lou Harriman, and you'll see the shows we've done with him. There have been several and a link right. to the blog on those shows. All right. That particular show was 374. 374. Let's let's move on to the next one. On um, July 10th of 2015, we had Dr. Joe Spurgeon on the show. Uh, Joe also spoke for us at the conference we did at Seven Springs Resort in the early fall of last year. And Joe is a uh, he's got a multidisciplinary doctorate he's an analytical chemistry and environmental health from he's a pit man and he was also a certified industrial hygienist until he retired and i guess he quit renewing that but um, he's been an author a consultant industrial hygienist and an accomplished industry professional joe was talking to us about uh, a lot about his book the collection and interpretation of indoor mold samples a comparison of methods. Excellent book. We got a copy of it. I've also still have a couple here. If anybody wants a copy, let me know. We'll we'll send you one out. It's uh, not terribly expensive either. And Joe was talking a lot about how we really haven't validated um, as much as we as well as we should have some of the sampling techniques we use for mold investigations. Cliff, what were your highlights from that show? Um, that. I think the most important one is the fact that what, what's being done out in the field, what's being done and utilized in court, none of these data uh, and sampling methods have, have actually been validated. So there is no universal agreement and evaluation on it. And he said that, uh, you know, in the industrial hygiene field, 
the methods are validated, uh, whereas what we do in mold remediation, they're not validated. So good stuff. Yeah, and, and you know, Joe has, has worked toward that validation, and his book, you know, when, when he testifies, he, he uses his own sample set and his own validations for making sure that the sampling he does is, you know, has a proper background, proper foot to stand on a proper uh, foundation, I guess you would say. And um, we're working with Joe, and I, I hope to get him back again for this year's conference. We're going to do uh, more validation of the methods, and we're trying to get a small group of people together to look at some of the data they've collected over the years and see if we can't come up with um, some better validation of the types of sampling we commonly see on mold remediation projects. He also had an interesting section on the sport or on um, wall checks and and the validation of wall check samples so uh, of course also carpet sampling joe was big on carpet sampling and uh, i thought he did a great job i think uh, anybody that's interested in those types of sampling should get a copy of dr spurgeon's book and uh, really dig into it and and see if you can't improve the way you do your own work uh, your own consulting work and uh, we're going to try and do more about that at the next uh, conference we have in October of this year at Seven Springs. But get a copy of the collection and interpretation of indoor mold samples from Dr. Joe Spurgeon. Cliff, let's turn it over to the next one. Okay, episode 376. Uh, this is uh, uh, the first of a two-part interview we did with Pete Consigli, and it was called A Conversation with the Restoration Industry's Global Watchdog. Uh, you know, Pete's my oldest uh, and longest term and, and closest uh, friend within the restoration field. So we have a very, very close relationship. We're kind of like Oscar and Felix. We certainly don't agree on everything. And I'm the sloppy one, and he tends to be the neat one. But uh, just a great interview. You know, we went through restoration history. And, uh, you know, Pete has an uncanny memory. He remembers dates and names and places and uh, you know, who was there. So in terms of, uh, a highlight show for me, uh, those two shows with Pete's were, uh, you know, among my favorite of the year. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, those were great shows for those that enjoy history. Uh, you, you can't beat Pete Consigli and his, his two part show that, that we did with him. And I'm a you know, I was a history teacher, actually, and, um, you know, if you ignore history, you're, you're doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past, and some of you know I'm on the IICRC's board of directors right now, and uh, unfortunately, I, I see that very problem occurring at this moment within that organization. I think they forgot about some of the mistakes they made in the past, and now we're seeing some of those potentially being uh, repeated here, and it's, it's a darn shame, uh, because I think the organization made some great strides toward trying to rectify some of those past issues. And unfortunately, um, with the way that organization is set up, it's, uh, almost dysfunctional. I'm not, I'm not going to say that at this point. We'll see. I've got another six or eight months on the term here and we'll see what happens after that. But, uh, I think we've got to do a show on that someday. I know Pete has been a real advocate for trying to get these organizations to work together. Uh, RIA had, applied to become a uh, shareholder again of the IICRC. They were at one time, and they dropped it, and Pete talked about that within the shows. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen this past November. I don't know if it will happen the f next November, but it sure would be nice to see those two large and uh, fairly respected organizations working together as opposed to kind of going down their own separate lane in the restoration industry way. Anything else you wanted um, to add, Cliff? No, I, I, I really think that, um, you know, and, and, and I think that really the motto for, for Pete's show was based on uh, Jimmy Valvano. Uh, you know, it was a fabulous uh, basketball coach. Unfortunately, he died early uh, due to cancer. And, you know, Pete just utilized, you know, various uh, Jimmy V quotes and, uh you know, knowing where we started, where we are, where we're going, and, are, you know, are we willing to work for it? And, you know, keeping dreams alive in spite of a problem. And, you know, don't give up, don't ever give up. And, 
nobody knows how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, just it was just peppered with really, really good quotes. So I think that um, if you want to, you know, if you haven't been in the industry for 40 years uh, and you're interested in, in the history, then it's probably worth listening to, to Pete's two shows. Absolutely. And Pete's also been a guy that's tried to help unite people from the building science community. He's the executive chef at uh, Joe Stebrook's summer camp, and he also has brought restoration industry people to that event and tried to help get the restoration industry and the building science community and the indoor air quality community working closer together, which is what we're trying to do as well, get that education and communication between these groups going so that, you know, we all deal with the built environment and we're all dealing with trying to make the built environment a healthier and a more productive place for people on the planet. And um, it's great to see those those times when things come together and people pull together and work together toward that bigger goal rather than going off into their own little fiefdoms and, and just worrying about uh, what's best for their particular organization. So good to see, uh, good to have Pete join us for those two shows, very good shows, great history. And, of course, Pete always has to include some references to uh, – to the Italian uh, mobsters back in the day and <laughs> the consigliere. And uh, it's funny, he actually gave us the the real definition for the consigliere. I don't know if you have that in front of you or not, Pete, but, or I mean, uh, Cliff. No, advisor. See. I mean, advisor. And, you know, it's uh, Sicilian and, uh, you know, anyone that's that watched the Godfather series certainly knows. Uh, about the conciliary for sure yeah the conciliary was the counselor or advisor and uh that was a a, a great uh a great reference that he used in there and pete continues to try and counsel and advise the industry all right let's move on the next one we've got if i recall correctly is going to be dr glenn morrison glenn morrison uh joined us it looks like that was on july 24th of last year Dr. Morrison, uh, at that time we were talking a little bit about the conference Healthy Buildings 2015, but we also talked a little bit about uh, semi-volatile organic compounds and a lot of other topics. I'm curious, Cliff, that's that's the type of show I always wonder what were the uh, key points that you kind of you know gathered from that show. Um, I think some of the things that he said, you know, really were you know, to me, were the chemically related things that we study classes of chemicals, uh, sometimes individual chemicals, uh, and we don't really know which ones uh, are the worst. Uh, the one thing uh, I really didn't think of uh, as often or as much as I should is the fact that the human skin works very much like a sponge, and it both both absorbs and desorbs chemicals. So I thought that was really, really uh, important and the precautionary principle, uh, you know, the introduction of a new product or process whose ultimate effects are disputed or unknown should be resisted. So when we want to, you know, some new product, some new process, some new invention comes out and we're in a rush to, uh, you know, to, to put it to use, maybe we should, uh, you know, think about the precautionary principle a little bit. Yeah. And I thought, um, he, he kind of gave us a little sneak peek of the future of uh, some of the research coming out. We, we just got a, a peek at some research that came out at the end of last year, but even before that, uh, we, Dr. Morrison was talking about how CO2, carbon dioxide, uh, below 2,500 parts per million has been shown to cause cognitive impairment. And so it's not just an indicator gas it's a pollutant. And that's that's been a somewhat controversial topic over the years. I know our old technical advisor just, he, he never bought into that, uh, Dr. Wow. And um, I know a lot of the old school folks still, still don't buy into the fact that CO2 could actually be a pollutant and not just a surrogate indicator for when, you know, the indoor environment may have other pollutants built in it, built up in it that would, that would cause problems. So it's, it's a gas, um, that is, it's a, it's a pollutant is what the newest research is saying. And I find that very interesting and one that can 
cause cognitive impairment. And recent studies have come out to show that that may well be the case. So I thought he gave us a real nice kind of um, tip about what was coming out toward the end of the year. And uh, that was something that was uh, pretty interesting to learn about. He also talked a lot about SVOC, semi-volatile organic compounds. I think the most common place we find those in the indoor environment that would be of interest to indoor environmental consultants and contractors is things like plasticizers, some pesticides, and flame retardants. Um, they're designed to be persistent, so they're designed to be you know, persistent in the environment and that they can vaporize from surfaces of products containing them because they're not bound to the materials and they remain persistent in indoor environments. Some other examples include PCBs, nicotine, methamphetamine, and and these are becoming more of an area of uh, concern and an area of research and an area where we're seeing some potential health issues implicated, especially in the flame retardants and especially with very young children. So I thought that was interesting information, and uh, he gave us some other good information about SVOCs. If you're interested in that topic, I would say listen to that show and pay close attention. Let's move on to the next one. Cliff, this was a uh, gentleman that you you got us on the show here, Greg Pattison, on July 31st of uh, 15. We talked a little bit about IEQ, disaster restoration, and OSHA regulations and OSHA health and safety regulations. This one kind of hit home for me because, you know, doing some consulting, I recently had a, a customer that got hit with an OSHA violation. I'll talk about that in a moment. But first, let's get your highlights from that show, Cliff. Well, I think just the statistics, you know, the fact that every day in the United States, 14 Americans fail to come home from work, you know, to their families because they're, they're killed on the job. Uh, you know, the fact that, you know, tens of thousands die from workplace disease, you know, it's an ongoing, uh, you know, like an asbestos worker, miners, uh, uh, you know, firemen, so on and so forth, you know, these occupational diseases that, you know, taking the toll. Uh, on workers, and I really think going back to, you know, what happened at 9-11, uh, you know, in Ground Zero, uh, that, you know, I, I, I think it's indisputable that, um, you know, that that event is, has just had an adverse effect on a lot of the uh, first responders. Uh, some things that people may not know, that an employer is always at fault, even when workers disregard safety training, you know, it's still your fault. Um, I think that um, I, uh, sometimes uh, restoration contractors, they're so busy. I, I think they're resistant to having the training done. You know, I think maybe it's because they think employees are going to turn over or they're too busy or it's common sense or whatever, but there's just huge risks. Not only can you have a, an on-the-job in, uh, injury, and uh, I personally had one, you know, probably my best service employee ever, you know, was, was permanently disabled. Uh, and, you know, he came with some disabilities to begin with, and, uh, you know, the small accident he had, he fell off the scaffold, he fell about three or four feet was all, but he happened to have had a, a leg that wasn't what it was supposed to be from the time that he was born. And, uh, it just, you know, ended up being a downward spiral and, and, and that poor guy's life. So, uh, you know, it can certainly happen. Um, I got a note of, of caution for restoration contractors, building owners out there that, um, you know, are using products to, clean up after water damage or just maybe even general cleaning products if you're if you're mixing those products you have to be very careful about what you're mixing and where you're mixing it i had a client recently that got a citation for mixing a commonly used restoration product and uh, not having an eyewash station in the area and it was because of the ph of the product not not the product itself any product with that ph if you're mixing it, you know, whatever, 5 to 1, 10 to 1, when you're doing that, you have to have an eyewash station close by. And uh, this was something I thought uh, would be surprising to a lot of restoration contractors and building owners out there. If you're using these concentrated forms of some of these products, you've got to be careful. 
Cliff, I know you know you you come from that background. Anything you wanted to add? No, but there are a number of different ways to do that. You know, a lot of your first aid kits are going to have uh, you know nutrients. Uh, you know, in the event that, you know, someone gets splashed. But I just think it's a good idea to, you know, number one, wear personal protective equipment, eye protection equipment. And, you know, every vehicle should have, you know, not only the first aid kit, but, you know, should also have the, uh, you know, as part of that, you know, the ability to flush the eyes and, and neutralize, uh, you know, something that would get into the eye. And then finally, I think I want to say... Um I thought he gave some interesting advice if OSHA does come to a site because OSHA, they show up. You, you, you don't know when they're coming, and, um, you know, they may show up at your site. And uh, his advice, well, let's first go over a, a couple of numbers. First of all, um, he, he said that about 63% of the OSHA inspections, this was in uh, 2014, were targeted inspections, so targeted industries or targeted um, companies. 37%, however, were due to fatalities or worker complaints. Uh, the one I was talking about was a worker complaint. And um, when the when OSHA does show up, he suggested you delay entry but do not deny entry. So in the event of an unexpected OSHA inspection, the best strategy is to delay the inspector's entry onto the work site. Do not deny entry. Say something along the lines of, it's our company policy to have our safety supervisor accompany all visitors on the job site. I'm sorry he's not here yet, so you'll need to make an appointment and come back. Um, I don't know. I've never tried that. Never had any of my clients try it. Cliff, any thoughts on that? No, I can get from personal experience. I can tell you it happened to us. Uh, we had a, a situation where I had uh, an employee, uh, actually it was our first chemical plant. It was hot. It was during the summer. He wanted us to air condition it. Uh, mm-hmm. That really was not an option. And he actually turned us into uh, to OSHA. And an OSHA inspector did show up. Uh, I happened to be out of town. My uh, office manager at the time was just... You know, she was just brilliant and very good on her feet. And, you know, she just told him that, you know, the owner wasn't present, that, you know, he would certainly want to be there. And she just asked him to come back, and, and he left. And, you know, I came back, and, uh, you know, I think that he, he walked in on a, on a Friday, and uh, I was back in the office that Monday, and that's, that's when he came back. But I can tell you, that weekend, we certainly <laughs> went through that facility and, and cleaned things up and, and straightened things out. And I can tell you, one of the OSHA citations that I got was for a desk lamp. And what happened was, uh, on many of you have probably seen them, it's that banker's desk lamp that has green glass on it. You know, you can buy them at, you know, uh, Target, whatever, and that's what was on the secretary's desk. And he actually wrote up a citation, the fact that that thing didn't have a three-prong plug, didn't come with a, th- a three-prong plug. Wow. But, uh, you know, just crazy stuff. Uh, wrote us up for improper storage of ladders, and there really isn't a, um, you know, in, in the OSHA book, there weren't good uh, recommendations on how the ladder should be, uh, you know, should be stored. Bottom line was I ended up with about $10,000 worth of citations. And what happened was I ended up having a meeting, uh, with OSHA and, um, I agreed with them, uh, that I would invest, I don't know, four or $5,000 in terms of adding built in eyewash and some other things that they wanted us to put into the facility, but, and, it, you know, it made it a better, safer, more compliant workplace. But, you know, typically if you have an OSHA inspection, uh, it's going to, to cost you some money. Yep. Uh, on the other hand, um, one of the things that he said is that you could call OSHA and they would actually come out to your facility and inspect it. They wouldn't fine you, 
for what they found, but you would have to agree with them on what you, you know, were going to fix and what you were going to make right. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, their outreach program is very good for that, and we tell people all the time you should take advantage of that. It's a it's a good program, and uh, they have changed over the years to trying to be more of an educational, and um, they try and work with you a little more. But you know, the last thing you want is that that uh, surprise inspection when uh, nobody's around and uh, or you're not around. So delay, don't deny entry is the is the uh, is the the uh, advice we got from Greg Patterson. Okay, we're, we're over halftime, so let's stop. We want to thank our sponsors because without them, we wouldn't be back here again this year for another year of IAQ Radio. And thanks to our newest sponsor, Particles Plus. Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Learn more at www.particlesplus.com. Count on us. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractor shop, visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. Okay, we've got to move here. We'll never get through the end of the year. Last year, we learned a lot. Let's move to 821. We're in the, toward the end of August here anyway. Uh, this was a show with Dr. Ralph Moon. Ralph's a, a fascinating guy, um, does a lot of research on water damage restoration issues and does consulting, expert witness work on those issues. Cliff, what were your thoughts? No, I, I think that, you know, the water damage, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, it can be progressive uh, and that you can actually tell from building inspections, you know, how long the wood's been wet, you know, just different types of, of characteristics. Uh, I, uh, I really like yeah, I, I think based on our radio interviews with, with Ralph, we had him come to our summit and he just did a fabulous job there, you know, talking about, uh, you know, working with insurance, you know, working with the insurance industry, uh, getting contractors and the insurance industry on the same page and, you know, going through uh, different types of claims uh and, and how the insurance company ends up putting patterns together. You know, he told us about, Florida about how it was in the insurance policy, the fact that you know, if you had a tile floor and you dropped something on a tile and the tile was broken and they couldn't get a tile to match, that they would replace, you know, all the, you know, ceramic tile flooring that was in, you know, adjacent areas and many of those houses, you know, were all tile. So, you know, they were on the hook for, for big amounts of money and that it actually uh, ended up being fraud uh, in, in many situations. And, you know, one of the neighbors would get uh, you know, drop something, have a legitimate claim, and next thing you know, uh, the friends and relatives are having, uh, uh, you know, kind of creating their own claims in order to get new floors and how, you know, from the scientific standpoint, the insurance company was able to uh, determine, uh, you know, based on testing uh, and, you know, setting up, you know, different types of scenarios, they were able to tell whether it was a legitimate claim or whether it was done with a ball-peen hammer, just Really good stuff. Fascinating. I, I tell you another thing. I think a key point for anybody doing work out there, it takes about three to five years for your inspection and report 
to surface during litigation. This is pretty common. And the keys to having a defensible report are to have a, a clear and defensible scope of work and that you document unusual circumstances or conditions. And these are the key strategies to avoiding litigation. And uh, I know people love to sometimes kind of, um, you know, describe things in detail and so on. And I, I think sometimes that can be uh, can can be detrimental. You know, you want to you want to describe what happened, but you don't want to get into uh, over describing things. So I, I thought Ralph brought up some great points, and uh, especially with respect to trying to keep yourself out of trouble in the future. Let's go to the next one, Cliff. That would be well. We already did Pete Consigli, so let's move right. on to Phil Moray. Oh, that was a flashback show. I don't know if you well, wanted to say anything quickly yeah, about Doctor Moray. Correct, because uh, because Phil passed away, we we kind of did uh, we rebroadcasted one of the shows that we did with him years back, and that was an unfortunate last year. Uh, we lost an industry uh, icon, Dr. Phil Moray. All right, let's go to the next one. We had Luke Gard, Kevin Kennedy, and Eric Shapiro. We uh, we talked a little bit about research to practice, and Cliff, thoughts on that show? I just, um, you know, I thought the fact that, you know, at it, it, the Healthy Building Summit, uh, you, you set a uh, uh, what would you call it? I, I, I guess protocol that you know you're doing sampling of the, of buildings on an annual basis and you're recording the data and, and you kind of I just think it's great you know and the idea of taking science and 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 practice and putting them together and you know integrating uh, uh, you know scientists and uh, you know restoration technicians uh, you know together you know taking sampling and you know doing sampling and uh, just good stuff. The stuff you've done at Seven Springs, excellent stuff. You know, and and the some of the work that Kevin and Luke do at Children's Mercy, they they do some research while they're out there trying to help schools, and and they also work with uh, residential properties because you know they deal with asthma and allergy issues. They go out and they do home health assessments. They're working a lot with the um, National Center for Healthy Housing. They teach people about doing these home health assessments. We've also been doing that. They help us with our courses as well. But I, I thought it was interesting that um, Luke brought up a, a project they did with HEPA vacuums and, and how HEPA vacuums improved indoor environmental quality in schools. Um, and dust mite allergen rose with increased humidity when he was doing research in that area. So that's you know something you would expect to find, but they did check and found that dust, right, uh, dust mite allergen did rise when schools had increased humidity and that there's a lot of challenges getting custodians to regularly use high-efficiency vacuums. So sometimes when we you know make recommendations to use certain equipment, to, um, for instance, let, let's stop, start with a respirator. You know, we want people to use a respirator. Well, which respirator is the best respirator? My buddy Danny says it's the one they'll use. So, you know, we've got to be careful about the recommendations we make. We don't want to make them overly burdensome so that they won't do it at all. And I thought that was a good point that uh, Luke and Kevin and, and Eric brought out during that show. So let's go over to the next the next show we did, which was going to be, uh, we did, we John had John Downey. Downey on. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about John. Cliff, thoughts on that show? I've, again, I've known John a long time. I mean, his family, believe it or not, has been in the carpet and rug cleaning business for, I think, in excess of 100 years. So that's that's quite a, uh, quite a tradition. Uh, one of the things we talked to John about was the, uh, IICRC's technical journal, which he is the editor in chief of, and uh, you know, he credited the seed, uh, the inspirational seed that germinated into that journal uh, as coming from Dr. Michael Berry, uh, you know, twenty plus years ago. Yeah, I think uh, John. You know, it was great when we uh, when we did our conference and, and at the summit. 
somebody was talking about uh, steam cleaning, you know, and they recommended steam cleaning of carpets, and that led to a long discussion of the fact that there is no such thing as steam cleaning, essentially, that, you know, we're, we're doing hot water extraction, and that um, that was a nice part about having restoration industry people, building science people, and indoor air quality people all in the same room. Sometimes we don't even speak the same language, so we've got to learn about each other's expertise areas of expertise so we, we got into a great discussion about carpet cleaning we had some hundred year veterans of carpet cleaning and uh it was a, a real learning experience i think for the indoor air quality people in the room and um again that's what we try to promote education and communication all right let's keep moving so we don't run out of time again this week um we were back up to kyle knappenberger this was an interesting show Kyle was the director of applications at a company called Timelon Technology Acquisitions. Acquisitions. Uh, Odors and odor elimination technology. I know a a topic that you're very interested in. Cliff, what were your highlights from that show? I thought one of the interesting things is this was like the Department of Defense type uh, technology that, you know, they have the, I guess I would just call them fire extinguishers. Uh, and you know they go into these you know, different environments with it that are heavily contaminated, uh, you know, with different types of chemicals and toxins. And that what they do is they blow this powder around, much like you were putting out uh, a fire. And this powder, which is made out of um, metal oxides, uh, just neutralizes all sorts of you know hazardous materials. I just thought it was a brilliant technology and. You know, this was one of these, you know, think tank spinoff uh, technologies, and, you know, they, they've made it in, into a company. So I, I think uh, some pretty cool stuff there. Yeah, now they're, they're putting it into uh, pre-filters for different types of air filtration devices. I think they've got some uh, very interesting concepts and, and technology, so folks take a listen there and i noticed the uh the blog needs to be reposted so we'll get that one up let's move on to our next show cliff that's going to be oh we did a flashback with dr peter sandman that was excellent uh but let's move on unless you had some comments on that one no i i, I don't uh, the next show was uh, october 9 that was episode 386 uh we had some of our uh, most popular speakers from the Healthy Building Summit. Uh, we had not only you, Joe, but we had Nate Adams. Uh, we had uh, Ed Ranieri, and we just discussed what they learned uh, at the summit. So really, really good stuff there. And I, I think that our keynote speaker, Dr. Sigel, was just very, very popular. And you know what he said just, just resonated with everyone there. And I think good comments uh, about uh eva's presentation as well yeah i think a, a few of these top eight issues deserve to be repeated um number one on dr siegel's top eight issues was bad indoor air quality is really expensive green is not really green the perceived value of sustainability has led to a lot of greenwashing He also feels we're caring about the wrong contaminants. Contaminants we should be concerned about include your PM, particulate matter 2.5, formaldehyde, acrolein, radon, environmental tobacco smoke, and ozone. Adding anything to an indoor air is a bad idea. We should all be doing a lot more air cleaning. Bad HVAC systems are one of our biggest problems, poorly designed, poorly installed, and poorly maintained, and that we should not fear microorganisms, but we should be wary of of what they are doing to them indoors. Um, We should also care about moisture and moisture problems. So those were the top eight issues Dr. Siegel presented at our conference. We talked a little bit more about that. And um, we've got a good video of Dr. Siegel. We're going to be putting it up here real soon. He did a two-hour presentation at the conference, and it was just really, really well-received. So we'll, uh, we'll let folks know when that one's available for uh, view on. Uh, we'll probably have it up on YouTube. Cliff, let's go to the next one. Sure, let's go to that. Uh, what is livable remodeling? We had Brian Pache on. This is a product-orientated show. And what's interesting is that, uh, you know, what we really talked about was dust, 
uh, and the problems that dust poses on either a remodeling, construction, or renovation project, and that uh, you know homeowners, building owners can get really, really unhappy about dusty work sites. And you know what he talked about was this concept of livable remodeling, which which is the contractor the and workers control the dust uh, on the job through use of containment. And they actually developed what I thought is a very, very nifty air filtration device. Yeah, we've actually played with that a little bit. Uh, Brian sent us one, and my son's a contractor, and we, we used it on a project here recently, and it uh, it did a nice job. He was, he was a little thrown um, when the motor started revving up he he wasn't prepared for that but um i told him no that's the way it's designed when uh when when the uh particular begin to load right? yeah when the surfaces begin up. to load it's got a, a variable speed motor in there that it starts to pick up speed a little bit so that was interesting i also thought their research on you know what uh, building and remodeling contractors uh, determine like where where the pain was for building and remodeling contractors. Among the issues were the concern over the responsibility for what lurks behind a wall or ceiling. Something a lot of our listeners are very familiar with. So, you know, maybe that's an area we need to be focusing on more when we look at who our potential market is, who our potential clients are, even, you know, the the basic remodeling contractor these days, they're very concerned about who's responsible for what's behind that wall. And it's not just mold, they're talking about electrical, they're talking about plumbing, etc. They're also, of course, responsible or uh, concerned about not redoing someone else's work, which is a big problem. Something's, you know, not not plumb, not flush, etc. Those types of issues. Um, visualization was one, but livability and customer inconvenience during the project was a big concern. So that's why they started to uh, develop the product for kind of uh, meeting that problem, trying to make sure that they were developing prob- uh, products that help contractors with those issues. All right, Cliff, let's go to the next one. Okay, the next one we had uh, Jocelyn Dornfeld. She's with A&J Specialty Services, and she came up with this idea. This is a restoration and remediation firm uh, in Wisconsin uh, where she works. She was involved in in marketing for them. She just came up with this idea uh, called Restoring Kindness, and what it is is just doing nice things, without expecting uh, something in, in return. And uh, what they've done with this idea, they've, they've expanded it to other uh, restoration contractors. It's in you know multiple states. It's, it's jumped to a couple of, of countries. So what she's trying to do is, is start a movement. And I just thought it was a really, really good idea. And, and uh, you know, we just thought that we wanted to, and help her kind of spread the word. Yeah, it's great talking to a young lady that's uh, you know trying to change things, trying to make things a little better. So uh, that was a great, great interview. I enjoyed working with her and meeting her. We uh, we met up at the uh, Violin Executive Summit as well. So very well done. Um, I, by the way, I saw a tweet from I think it was her or, or someone that was out restoring kindness somewhere. It was uh, very interesting to see that, especially this time of year. I don't think this is the, the year that time of year they focused on, but must be catching on. All right, next, this was a great interview. Nick and John Paolella, the, the co-founders of John Don, making friends out of the people you do business with. Cliff, thoughts on that show? I, I think it was great. Uh, they're, you know, number one, they, you know, they have had a 40 year, uh, partnership. It's, uh, essentially two cousins. Uh, and you know, there's big age difference, uh, between the two of them. And they really just discussed the pillars of success, uh, you know, in their company, both of them worked at a business before where the owner really didn't value the employees and, uh, you know, what they, said is in their own business they were going to do everything right that their former boss did wrong and they've just built an incredible business and it's a great place to work and 
uh, you know, the employees are happy and, and they really get it done. They do things in a very, very professional way. They're very, very supportive of, of our industry, uh, of associations, you know, big on education. Uh, they started this program, Strategies for Success, where it's not about technical training. It's about business training. And they've just helped literally thousands of people in our industry be more and more successful. And again, they're, they're longtime personal friends of mine. And uh, that, uh, along with the Pete shows, uh, you know, were my favorite shows. Highlights for you, huh? All right, let's let's see if we can wrap this up in the next five minutes. Cliff, we had this was a, a very good show. Uh, Doctor Diaz, I believe she pronounced it. Sarah Longo and Mike Taylor from the Create Lab and Carnegie Mellon University. We called it. What is the Spec IAQ monitor? I'm looking at mine now. Sits on my desk all day, every day, and it gives me an idea of what kind of things I do. Uh, cause an increase in the particulate in my area around my desk and in my home. Cliff, thoughts on that show? Again, it's great uh, to to know what's going on in the air. And I think one of the things that they're that they're that they've done in Pittsburgh and they're trying to expand on a national basis is making these units available through public libraries, so that you know if you can't afford the the reasonable price of a, I think around two hundred dollar yep. range is what these devices cost. You can check it out of the library. Uh, you can install it, and you know, it's very, very easy to use, and it'll it'll help you uh, know what's going on, particular wise inside of your home or building. Yeah, and they also have a, an interesting scale on here. So it's you know they don't say that it's dangerous or anything like that. They just say it's good or it's elevated, moderately elevated, significantly elevated, etc. And uh, it gives people an idea of what types of things they do that increase that particulate load. And uh, they're also looking at adding carbon dioxide and um, relative humidity and temperature sensors. So interesting, the um, move toward low-cost sensors and low-cost sensor solutions in the industry. I'll give you another example. I just, uh, John and I here, our, our engineer, put, I, I got a new phone, and uh, in part I chose the type of phone I got because it worked with this little infrared camera that attaches right to your phone. I think it cost us, what, maybe 100 200 bucks at the most uh, so I've got a little infrared camera it's not it's not as good as a two thousand five thousand ten thousand dollar camera but it's a good screening tool gives you an idea of where some cold surfaces may be and uh, it's impressive you know and it's a low cost sensor solution this is the future of the indoor environmental quality industry and then when we have all these low cost sensors we can start to upload that information to the cloud and people can start to data crunch that information and we can learn more about what type of indoor environments people are living in and working in. Uh, great stuff. Interesting to talk to those types of researchers on a regular basis on this show. All right, let's move it over. Let's go to another restoration industry show before we wrap it up for 2015's What Did We Learn segment. We had Kurt Bolden, the Hydro Lab Training and Equipment Rental Man, thinking outside of the restoration industry box. Cliff, thoughts on that show? Again, I've known Kurt for probably 30-plus years. I remember when he uh, attended one of my training classes, and you know, he's just really an industry success story. You know, He's someone that was out in the field, uh, saw problems, felt that there was a better way to do things, and you know, his significant contribution, I think, his first one to the restoration industry was developing a more efficient uh, method of extracting water from water-damaged buildings. And really, the removal of the bulk water is is really the, the one factor that shortens the drying time significantly. And the more of the water we can suck up and uh, pump out of the building, the less we need to rely on energy to remove. So, uh, he in, in invented a device called an extreme extractor, really, really, uh, good, uh, invention. He kind of went through the process of how he was, you know, his wife sent him on a to-do mission to a, uh, a rental store and he was sitting, uh, in line and he kind of came up with that idea. He then went along to 
take training in the industry to uh, to the next level. Uh, what he did is he took hands-on training uh, to the next level by putting all sorts of sensors and measuring and monitoring equipment uh, in his training center so that they could record the amount of water, changes in, in temperature and humidity, and put in different types of drying equipment to determine which type of equipment uh, worked the best and was, was most efficient. And he kind of hinted that he's got some even bigger things coming, but he didn't exactly tell us what they were, although he did tell us he was planning on flooding his own personal home. So uh, <laughs> I think we'll just have to wait uh, until we learn more about what, what, what Kurt's up to. You know, you've got to have a dream. You've got to have a goal. And um, Kurt told us his goal was to, to be able to drive up to a wet building and zap it dry in an hour. So if he can pull that off, that should be fascinating. Uh, but that's how you get someplace. you got to have a dream. You have to have a goal, a destination. And uh, you know, that's his dream. All right, let's wrap it up final show of the uh, 2015 year and I think we really ended it on a bang here. We had uh, Professor Jordan Pescia, Dr. Pescia from Yale University. We talked about the building microbiome. We, this was a part of our research to practice series. Um, we, he's, he's one of the group of researchers that's been getting some money from Sloan Foundation to look at the microbiome of indoor environments. And I've got to tell you, that's probably my favorite show of the year. And I know a lot of listeners complimented uh, us on that show. Uh, Dr. Petya was fascinating. Cliff, your thoughts on that show? No, I just think that uh, this whole microbiome and, and the fact that, uh, you know, what's going on in hospitals and, uh, you know, it kind of, uh, who, who was it? The, the the peanuts character, Joe. The you know the one that's always walking around in, oh, in the cloud of, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we're like that. We just don't don't realize it, you know. And uh, you know Charles Schultz w w was was right, but just you know what's going on, how things change, uh, just just really really fascinating stuff. Yeah, I thought uh, you know his final comment was really interesting he said uh get a dog uh so that was that was interesting that um dogs and and humans have actually you know evolution of living with the animals has has made it so that um it's actually beneficial for people to have the microbes that uh, dogs have and vice versa, I would assume. And uh, I thought that was fascinating. I, I know I've been bringing the dogs in more often since that show. We've got a, a sunroom where we keep them a lot, you know, so that uh, it keeps down on the cleaning because they can definitely uh, be a pig pen of their own. But um, fascinating stuff. I, I really enjoyed having Dr. Petchy on the show. And uh, he also mentioned that uh, he shares an interest with Dr. Richard Shaughnessy of the uh, University of Tulsa, who's been a guest on quantifying and identifying everything in samples to build a framework which will predict poor health outcomes for the occupants of water-damaged buildings. So there's still a big emphasis on that. And I, I don't think it's ever going away. Um, when you look at the statistics on how many Buildings are water damaged. How many people have water damage? How many people are dealing with water damage? And, and being in the contracting world, like I say, my son's got a contracting company. And um, I would imagine, uh, I would say probably half of the calls we get are somehow related to issues that resulted from water damage. It's just amazing, um, you know, how many problems are occurring. And, and it seems like they're not really decreasing their their uh, either staying the same or, or, or becoming even more um, more common cliff any final thoughts no i think it was a great year uh you know my only regrets joe about the year the you know the people that we lost you know marty king uh phil Morey, you know two real pioneers yeah, yeah, it's tough. Every year it seems like uh, we, we have a couple that we lose, and uh, unfortunately uh, they're typically the pioneers of the industry, but that's, I guess, the the consequences of them having been around for many years. And uh, 
We're looking forward to a big 2016 here on IAQ Radio. We've got uh, some interesting things coming up for you folks. I know Cliff and I, at least one of us, will be at the IAQA conference, which is at the end of the month here, January. I think it's 25 through 27 down in Orlando, Florida. I will be uh, at that conference. Cliff may well be with us. We've been asked to do a show down there, and we're going to try and figure out a way to do it. IAQA has been a good sponsor of the show for years and a great organization to be working with. They're now a subsidiary of ASHRAE, which is another, you know, big-time indoor air quality organization. Um, The synergy there should be fantastic. I guess we'll find out. Um, This year's conference is, like I said, the end of January. 25 through 27, go to the IAQA website, iaqa.org, and you can sign up, and uh, please let us know you're going to be there so we can say hello. Uh, This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Uh, We made it through another week here and uh, finished up the 2015 What Did We Learn? Thanks to my engineer, John. you got to have faith, most importantly, to the growing group of loyal fans out there. Hey, we had a lot of great downloads, even over the holiday. John and I were looking today. It was better than expected. We took three weeks off there over the holidays and still had quite a few downloads, so we really appreciate that. I also appreciate those of you that are reposting either Cliff's blog or links to shows to uh your Twitter or to the LinkedIn or your Facebook accounts. That's always much appreciated. So please come back next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.